I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, friends, and welcome. This week, we're talking about sustainable fashion with the founder of ethical clothing line Encircled and Christy Sumer. Christy is a self-made entrepreneur with a background in finance and consulting. With an amazing team behind her, she has managed to grow her business ethically and is one of Canada's fastest growing new companies. In her personal life, Christy is a surfer, traveler, and total business geek. She's a proud puppy mama and loves reading, listening to podcasts, she actually has her own, and spending time with friends. Christy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to reconnect with you. Yeah, I the last time I think we saw each other was January 2020. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> right? know, wild, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Little did we know what the next month or two yeah. would hold. So <laughs> I know <laughs> I'd just gotten back from a vacation too. I wish I had extended it <laughs> a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think yeah, that's the same. I think I had just I saw you and then went on vacation and then yeah mm. d- didn't leave the house again for a couple of years. <laughs> but anyway, nice, nice to chat with you virtually. Hopefully, we'll get to see you in person soon. You obviously have worked really hard to build an ethical clothing line and encircled, but I'd like to take a few steps back and because you do have. Some such a background that I think is interesting in terms of how you got into the world of entrepreneurship. I know that I know it, but I'd love for you to kind of start there and share that with the listeners. Sure. So I am not a fashion designer by trade. I would call, I wouldn't even call myself a fashion designer more so by passion. So my background is pretty much all finance, marketing, and consulting. I started my career at a retailer called Lacenza straight out of, you know, undergrad with my finance degree, working in operations there. Um, So that was really my first exposure to the fashion industry. And I was really on the periphery there because I was in operations, the stores, I didn't really get much exposure to their supply chain. The one thing that I do remember from that job is that they did a lot of retouching of models. (laughs) And then I was going to say, (laughs) yeah, Lucenza, does Lucenza still exist? It's owned by Victoria's Secret. So they bought them. Yeah. Maybe like a while ago, like maybe like 10 years ago, but they would sometimes miss on the Photoshopping and like an elbow would be like triangular or something. So I just remember like thinking (laughs) that was like my first inroad to fashion and thinking, wow, this isn't real. Like these women don't look like this. 
Um, but, but yeah, so it was actually a really great learning experience. I worked with some amazing mentors at that company. Um, and then I decided, um, to move industries. I went back to school, actually did my MBA at Queens. Um, I really had a desire to get into management consulting. I know that's such a weird aspiration, but (laughs) I just really liked the idea of it. And I thought it'd be super challenging and really good with my skill set. And I've always had like a bit of like ADD with projects. So I like switching things up. So I thought it would be a neat fit since you rotate projects a lot in that type of role and clients. Um, So eventually I did get into um, consulting. I worked for a retail consulting division of PwC. Um, I was actually hired ironically by my original manager at La Senza who ended up there. So it's always a good story to tell people to never burn bridges because you never know where those opportunities will land you. Um, And yeah, I really, I really loved it because I got to work with so many amazing retail brands and, you know, C-level executives and got into conversations I would have never had you know, and I was only probably in my early thirties, maybe late twenties at this time, but it also opened my eyes. I think at that time to a lot of other things. So I started to really, you know, in your thirties, you start to really think about like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what is the meaning here? And I started to get a little bit more curious about my impact and, you know, while putting together a slide decks and presentations and helping do reorgs and strategy was really challenging. I was always questioning like, you know, is this a brand that I'm helping, you know, further a good impact in the world? Um, and how does that align with what I believe um, in my heart? And who am I really helping here? Um, so I started to become more curious and ask questions. And I started to kind of do a little bit of my own, I guess, research into ethical fashion and sustainability and stuff like that. And then it really wasn't until like an ad hoc vacation, you know, at consulting, they have something called on the bench or on the beach where you're not assigned to a client. And my friend was like, going on a yoga retreat. They have a spot. Somebody canceled. Do you want to come? I was like, I've never done a yoga retreat. What is that? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so I was packing for it literally like the night before the flight was leaving at like, I think 7am. So, you know, for Toronto, you have to get to Pearson at like 4am. Yeah. So I was like, packing and then my zipper broke on my suitcase and it just like popped open. And I was like, Oh my God, everything's going to have to go in a carry on. This is not good. Not good. Cause I was bringing like yoga mats, blocks, all the things. Um, and then I just started in that moment, it was a trigger for me. Cause I started questioning, like, why was I bringing all of this stuff? Like I was bringing like right. a sweater for the plane, a dress for here, a dinner dress with this thing. And it was just like, none of this is really like, some of these could be like double duty. Like what if I actually created something that you could wear multiple ways that would look really stylish, but comfortable and travel well. And that kind of inspired our first product idea, which is called the Chrysalis Cardi. It's an eight and one dress tunic cardigan. That's still in our collection today. Um, And that came out of that one spark moment. And then the company kind of just grew out of that. So you had, well, I love that story first off, because I a hundred percent can relate. And I think even more so, and I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but I think even more so coming out of COVID now and analyzing our wardrobe and seeing that we really didn't wear a lot of it. And I know myself, I'm looking for those pieces that could be like multifunctional, but mm-hmm. let's, let's go back. Uh, Cause what year are we in right now? Yeah. So we're in, we're in 2012. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Well, and I asked that too, because I think, you know, when we talk about sustainable fashion, ethically made, like we're all more educated on that now, Mm -hmm. but I, I really, and you can tell me better in 2012, like what was the temperature around that? Like, was that, (laughs) 
even a thought? Because I have a personal story that I'll share with you after, but you go first. (laughs) Yeah. um, Not in the industry for sure. No, it was not. You know, that was around the time. I think the next year was when there was the unfortunate incident with the Rana Plaza factory collapse in Bangladesh, where there was a bunch Mm -hmm. of clothing brands involved in that and thousands of people died. Um, and that broke some awareness, I think, around the ethics of fashion. Um, but sustainability, no, nobody was talking about it. Nobody understood it. Um, it was very nebulous, but it was very important to me because, as I mentioned, I am a surfer. I travel a lot. I started to see around the world, you know, stuff that you don't see here. Like we put our recycling away in a bin to the curb, and then there it goes. Um, but in a lot of more developing countries, like a lot of the garbage was starting to float in the water and, you know, I'm surfing and I'm getting like sludge on my arm. Like oh, wow. you can't like ignore some of this impact. Um, so sustainability was a really core important value. And so it was the ethics and so was local. Um, and having that local production was a huge benefit to me at the beginning for anybody starting up a business, especially in manufacturing, like there's nothing like building those local relationships because you can really monitor the quality. You'll get smaller batches. You can kind of move a little bit slower and kind of go into the business at your own pace. Um, and it's incredibly sustainable to produce locally too. So there was a lot of factors. I was definitely out on my own. Like people were like, what are you doing? And why are you making it? Like, it was weird. It was weird. Well, now it's not weird, but it was weird then for sure. Right. And I think as you're kind of going through and talking about locally made and, you know, now there's supply chain issues and all, like all these things, these things that you were thinking about when you just wanted to invent this card again in 2012 are now like more, I don't know if the word is accepted or more thought of than mm-hmm. at the time. So let's go back to 2012. And so you have this idea, mm-hmm. how do you know right away that you want it to be ethically made, like locally made, like all of those components or how, take us through that journey of how like the finished product came mm-hmm. to be that one cardigan came to be. Yeah. So it started with the fabric because I had had this piece from, um, oh my gosh, I think they're called American apparel. Um, and it was like a 40 in one scarf. And it was basically this thin piece of fabric that was cut. It wasn't even hemmed. Um, that was see-through and you could wear 40 different ways. And it came with this <laughs> little card and showed you all the ways you can tie it. And you know what? Wait, I tried you'd have to wear piece. something under it then each yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> it was see-through and it looked like you were wearing a potato sack. It was so not flattering, but the concept was really interesting to me. So I was like, if I could do this better, like I could put snaps or some sort of closure um, to, and maybe we don't need 40 things in one. Maybe we just need eight um, and better fabric and more sustainability. There's lots of ways to make this product better. So it started with the fabric. Um, Cause I wanted a really nice fabric that was resilient and durable, but like luxurious. So immediately mm-hmm. I gravitated towards a fabric called Modal um, because I'd had quite a few pieces in my wardrobe made from that fabric. And I knew that it just had this like really luxurious texture to it. And through learning about Modal, I realized, you know what, there's sustainability aspects of Modal. Um, you know, our supplier that we got it from initially and still work with today, you know, they have all these certifications, it's sustainably sourced, it's lensing modal, so it's certified, it's Ercotex 100 certified to be free of harmful chemicals, um, and it's a really resilient and beautiful fiber. It's often found, I'm sure as you know, in, in underwear and stuff like that, it's typically not as commonly found in mass fashion and garments because it is so expensive. Um, but it's a great fabric. So that's kind of where we started with the sustainability. It came from both a function and sustainability. Like, I don't think I would have picked hemp just because, oh, it's sustainable. Like it had to really work with the garment and all the ways yeah. we wanted to style the garments so that it was something wearable for the customer. Cause I think to your point up until then sustainable fashion really had been like 
linen pants and like hemp, you know, <laughs> tunics. Yeah. Like it didn't have the cachet that it has now. So it was right. a little unusual to be even using sustainable fibers, to be honest. Yeah. And I think kind of like people thought of it as like more of a granola sort of feel. Mm-hmm. Like I remember doing a pitch competition and this is the story I was going to share. And we were producing a, a sustainable product and the, and these were CEOs. I probably shared this story with you before, yeah. but they were CEOs of like major, it was in New York, major, major like conglomerate brands. Mm-hmm. And after we got our feedback, the feedback was kind was basically like great product. Like the sustainability though is not going to be what sells it. So you got to come up with another kind of like marketing mm-hmm. angle. And now I feel like that's probably, I mean, this was, this is probably like 2017, 2016, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. Yeah. not great with the dates, but anyway, that's, tr- I would say that that comment would have happened, um, okay. in, in a competition that was happening today. Right. For sure. Um, so you find this fabric that you want to use, you know, from how did you, I guess this is kind of just, how did you get it actually designed? Cause you weren't a designer. So yeah. you produced it locally, you mentioned, or did you, from the start, did you produce it locally or was there a yeah. process yeah. there? Yeah. So, um, initially I started with, um, the Toronto fashion incubator, um, in oh, yeah. here locally it's a not-for-profit. Um, I wasn't part of the incubator, but I started taking their classes. So they have like some workshops and stuff like that. They factory lists you could buy. Um, and they also had a resume bank. So I had pulled some stuff from there and, and I figured enough out from online. I bought this book called the Sewn product, uh, Sewn entrepreneur's guide to product manufacturing, very boring book, very expensive because I had to buy it on eBay because it's <laughs> out of print. Um, but it tells you everything you need to know about making a garment, like, and it's so boring, but it's so essential. So I always recommend that book to aspiring fashion designers who are not coming from the field or even somebody who's gone to school. I think it is important to commercialize. Um, so I've had that book. So I knew I needed like a pattern. I knew I needed a technical designer of some kind. Um, but the garment at the end of the day that I was making initially, at least it was fairly simple in its iteration. I'd already made my own prototype. So I brought I got on Craigslist at the time that was acceptable um, yeah. and bought a sewing machine for like $40. I broke it on the first try because I'm not a seamstress, um, <laughs> had to have it fixed on Queen Street, brought it back um, and started playing around with different fabrics. I found at sample shops on Queen Street and different attachments. And literally I have photos from my first apartment of like a uh, dress form Judy with a thing on and I'm pinning it. Anybody who came to my condo was like subject to like being a fit model because I was like, it off. Yeah. On them. yeah so I did a lot of like iteration with it to be honest and then when it came to doing the pattern um I had like a pattern maker do the pattern but it was really I mean the pattern is very simple it's just like a rectangle um mm-hmm. and then you mark the cut pot the cut points and stuff like that so I found her through a referral on Toronto Fashion Incubator so um, that was like really where I started. I think now there's so many amazing resources out there online for designers and forums and Facebook groups. I mean, that kind of stuff just did not exist at that time. Right. So it's a lot easier for people to start out fashion brands with no fashion knowledge today. Um, mm-hmm. probably more than ever. Mm-hmm. So you have this one cardigan and it is, it's locally made, it's sustainably made. Where did the turning point, cause now you have, I guess now you're, you're coming up with the brand, you have the product. So what kind of went through your mind when you, I'm assuming at this point, you knew that you wanted to make it ethically. Cause although it kind of seems like it happened also organically, that aspect mm-hmm. of it, 
Um, but what, what other barriers, I guess, to creating something ethical, sustainable at the beginning were there. And then I'd also love to kind of jump to today and mm-hmm. what that environment looks like today versus then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, finding somebody to make this product was incredibly difficult because, um, this product specifically is very technical, even though it's simple, um, because we use, um, the way it works is it's essentially a big circle scarf and has strategically placed hand-sewn snaps. That's important. Um, manufacturing in garments, as we know, is still very handmade. Um, but they love to avoid hand-sewing if possible because it's very expensive, right? But it's very necessary with this type of fabric to do it that way. So first of all, nobody wanted to make it. I contacted all these people <laughs> and they were like, no, thank you. You had um, this full list and no one wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I had like a list of 50. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of them were out of business, to be honest. Like we called a lot of them. They'd be like, the number was dead, whatever. Um, I found a short list, went to meet with them. They wanted to, um, a few of them wanted to change the design because they thought it made no sense. And I was like, no, no, no. The secret is that you don't see the snaps. That's why it looks like a dress when it says a dress. And they were like, we don't get it. Um, and then I found this one factory up in Markham. And I don't know if like the operations manager just like liked me because he had a daughter his like around my age, but mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, we could try and make this, I think. Um, and he took us on. So he, he made like a prototype. So usually you go through like a sampling. So they made like an on the production line prototype looked really good. Um, then ordered the fabric, had it delivered. And then off we went on the first production run. Um, and the funny story is that like at the time I'd sold my car to like fund the business and, um, I rented like a smart car and I had to go pick it up. And I didn't realize it would be in these huge boxes. So like literally I was driving on the 401, which is like the biggest highway in Toronto. It's like 12 lanes for anybody that's not from here Um, in a smart car with like stacks of cardies to the ceiling, you know? (laughs) Um, So it was really grassroots how I started. And like, I started shipping from my apartment. It was my side hustle. So I was still employed. So I would work on evenings and weekends, mostly weekends because I traveled a lot as a consultant. Um, and I would engage my friends and ask them to help me ship for pizza and stuff like that. Um, so I would say we started off like creating the brand around and circle just came to me, I think when I was creating the product idea, cause it's okay. essentially a circle, but I also yeah. wanted this idea of like full circle fashion. So something that would benefit, you know, our customers and being a really high quality product and adding that versatility, but something that would also um, create, create equity with, um, the manufacturers and our planet. So I had this like kind of visual there. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's really how I came up with the name. And then I just Googled the crap out of it to make sure nobody else was using it and then it. trademarked yeah. it right away. Smart. Um, <laughs> but I will say like when I did launch, I didn't know as much as I know now about digital marketing and the landscape was quite different. So I hired a PR firm and did that thing for a few months. And then we had some strong sales initially. And then it just totally, like, I had no marketing plan. I'll fully admit it. And it totally dropped off. And I remember, I always tell the story because I think it's really important, um, for people who are starting out to hear like March, 2013, I did $128 in sales. And that was one garment to a mm-hmm. friend who paid cash. She didn't even use my website. So I literally <laughs> almost made no sales. Um, and I, you know, every entrepreneur has that moment where they're like, what, this is not possibly a real full-time job, you know? And now we're, you know, we broke seven figures in revenue years ago, maybe like five, six years ago. So um, we're in a like a full team and stuff like that. So it's, it's very different now, but you got, everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. So totally. um, So yeah, the landscape's different for sure. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now. Can we, and we'll get into, sorry, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to cut you off mid, mid, um, getting into what it's like now, but because I am curious to hear not so much about sustainable fashion, this question, but more about entrepreneurship, what kind of, what turning point was it that was like, okay, I'm okay to leave my job, mm-hmm. right. And become a full-time entrepreneur. Like what happened there that was it just a leap? Was it like something financially happened? Like what made you feel like now was the time to take this to the next level and do this full time? Mm -hmm. It was an incredibly hard decision. First of all, like, um, I'm single, so I have a single income, you know, so making that jump with no safety net and I wasn't paying myself out of encircled at the time was very scary. And I'd worked, Mm -hmm. you know, like many people very hard in my career. I was not new in my career. I'd been in my career for almost 10 years, Um, which is like leaving a lot of that behind. But um, I had a really good friend tell me like something reassuring and maybe it's obvious to people, but like, you can always go back. So like, if you decide this is, I'm going for this, um, there's no shame in going back and getting a job if you have to. Um, But I think I felt a lot of personal like shame or fear around that, to be honest. Um, Plus my parents, I'll be transparent. We're not very supportive. They're not entrepreneurs, you know, Um, my dad's a lawyer. My mom was a teacher librarian for a number of years. They're very traditional. Um, and they didn't think it was a good idea (laughs) at all. And it took (laughs) a while to come around. So I think when you have outside forces, inside forces telling, you no, it does take a lot of internal power to make that decision. So uh, it wasn't until two years into encircled part-time that I made that decision. Um, Mm -hmm. and it took me a while. I quit my job three times. They talked me back every single time. Um, (laughs) and then eventually let me go. Um, but it, it was really difficult. And I think 
it was a multitude of decisions around, you know, financially, I felt like the business was growing a lot, but it was, ex it, it was expanding my capability. Like I couldn't do more. Um, and right. it was kind of hitting that point where it's like, either you're going to make the leap or this is just going to become what it is. And I was like, this feels like too much of a thing. Like I can't give it up now. And I loved it so much. So mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. was like, well, this is what we're doing now. So <laughs> I love that. And, and what year was that in then? That was like late 2014. So 2014. Yeah. Okay. So you've been an entrepreneur now for eight years. Mm -hmm. yes. And so from that, you know, one, one item and, and thinking of what this brand could look like looking back on it, like you, I mean, there must be such a sense of like accomplishment. And although I think as entrepreneurs, you don't often get a chance to look back on it either, but yeah. what would you say in those past eight years, like you're most proud of? Cause I know Encircled has had some pretty big accomplishments, like through COVID till present day in before then as well. But can you share us some of like those high points in the journey in some low points, if you want as well, but <laughs> as it relates to, to like to sustainable fashion and like mm -hmm. different certifications and things that you, yeah. you went after. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one thing that we're very proud of is our B Corp certification. So we were able to become a certified B Corp in 2018. We just recertified recently. Um, you know, up until recently, we were only one of, I think, five apparel brands in Canada run by women um, who were who are B Corp certified. So that's a very elite wow. group to be in. Um, and many impressive. amazing brands like Eileen Fisher, as you know, is a certified B Corp. So it really elevated us and it elevated the brand and our education around sustainability and ethics in fashion. Um, and it's incredibly difficult to get to. So. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, I don't want you to move on. Cause I'd love for you to share a little bit about what's involved in, in a B Corp certification. Mm -hmm. Cause it is incredibly difficult to get. Yeah. It's like a full internal audit of everything you do from how you pay your employees to where your suppliers are located to, um, you know, governance of your organization to sustainability standards, waste disposal. So it really looks at everything and there's an assessment that you take. And then generally that assessment identifies opportunities for improvement um, and it scores you. So you have to get a minimum score to even get like into it, but then there's opportunities okay. to improve your score as well. So, um, you know, when we initially started it, I think our score, I don't know the exact score actually, to be honest, but I think it was in like the nineties or something. And then we were able to improve it to well into the hundreds, um, in the last certification through just like those best practices that they have those things again, like sustainability is a very new, um, area of the industry. So a lot of us are just kind of learning as we go. And sometimes that's tricky because you can feel like, oh, like I did that before. And then you're like, Ooh, that wasn't sustainable. But like the knowledge is evolving. So right in this, industry. right. It's like, we're all trying to like learn with it. So I think being a part of a B Corp um, certification is important because it does expose you to faster learnings so that we can all be more impactful brands on the planet and people who live on it. Mm -hmm. And can you share some of, you mentioned some of the other brands that you're kind of going through this process with, can you share like when we're out there, you know, looking in the space, what other brands you should kind of keep an eye on and, and work to support besides obviously Encircled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some great um, Canadian B Corps out there. Um, Poppy Barley is one. They're a shoe brand uh, run by two amazing female entrepreneurs out West. Um, there's also Cotton, K-O-T-N. They're based in Toronto. Um, they're a certified B Corp and has a lot of sustainability rooted in their supply chain over in Egypt. Um, 
you know, Warby Parker is a very well-known B Corp in, in the States. Um, ben and Jerry is one of my favorites. Um, they're a B Corp, um, Patagonia. Um, so it's really a, an amazing set of brands that um, are in there. I mean, just getting exposure yeah. to that is, is such a win for us as well. Yeah, you're in good company there. So what's next for Encircled? What do you have kind of, in whether that's from a product perspective, I know you have some exciting things on the brand side. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear what's coming up. Yeah, so um, yeah, we're, we've got lots going on. So we're doing a lot of work <laughs> right now on our website. Uh, we're actually working on a complete visual identity refresh, as you mentioned, like I've been an entrepreneur for eight years. The brand has been around for 10 years. So I felt like it was time for us to really work on elevating our brand presence. We've done a lot of bootstrapped brand design. Um, our first logo I designed. So that's usually how everything. it happens, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we're launching a new website in early July. Um, it's going to be full multi-currency. So people can shop in their local currency. Um, we're, oh. we're moving actually our, our warehouse offsite as well for faster shipping options as well. So um, and we're continuing to develop new products and innovate in sustainability. So we really want to start focusing on um, improving our Renew collection, which is a collection of items that are all made from upcycled production cuttings. So we're challenging some of our design team to come up with ideas for higher uses of leftover fabrics from production and cutting. Um, and then we're also working on just some really nice designs for the fall. So I think it's an interesting time for us because uh, literally the world has been working from home. Uh, a lot of people yeah. for almost two years. Now they're going back to work. People don't want to go back to wearing those uncomfortable pantsuits. I mean, I don't. Um, Absolutely not. <laughs> which I think, yeah, which must be be great for business right now for you. Yeah. Cause I would like from your product lens standpoint, not only do we hit all those things, you know, made local, sustainable, all of that, but like from just forget all that for a second, it's still pieces that you would want to wear. And especially coming out of COVID. Right. And like, we don't Mm want to try to fit into, I don't know that like type all these, I don't want to try to fit into like that tight pair of jeans (laughs) or whatever it might be. Right. Or those high heels, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, are you noticing, are you noticing like a shift in that consumer behavior as well from a Mm -hmm. sales coming your way, I guess, perspective? For sure. We've had a lot of shifts over the last two years and I'm sure a lot of brands have like, you know, um, fairly early on in the pandemic, we started making masks because we had the local supply chain to do right. that. And that was something yeah. we were very, very proud about um, doing and supporting the community in that and donating masks as well. Um, and then we almost ran out of inventory because the supply chain in Toronto was very wow. shut down for a very long time. So, and then we got heavy into loungewear because everybody was into, you know, jogger sets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what we saw was like, obviously decline in some of our more dressier pieces, but the biggest resurgence this year actually has been in a piece that's been in the collection for almost seven years, uh, our dressy sweatpants, that pan okay, yeah. on fire this year. We just launched, we launched up to four X last year. We just launched petite inseams. We're launching tall in the fall. Um, Amazing. and people cannot get enough of that pan because it is, yeah. a, it's literally a dressy sweatpant that you can wear. Right. Work. Um, yeah. nobody will ever know. Um, so, and, and our like the dream pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we redid our comfy wide leg pants this year. It's made of the same kind of pajama soft material, but looks like a dress pant. So that's really mm-hmm. our like secret sauce is dressing you up for work so that you look, you know, professional and put together and polished, but you're literally in your most comfy clothes that you could lounge with 
on the couch yeah. if you wanted to. So those types of pieces have been doing real, really well for us. And then the Chrysalis Cardi still in our collection, hanging on, you know, had a rough couple of years with COVID, no travel, but um, starting to see a resurgence there now with people getting out there and wanting to travel again, and especially travel light because of the yeah. lineups at the airports and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see those waves shift and it's, it's hard in fashion, as you know, to predict what's coming, um, right. but especially over the last couple of years, but so we've definitely made some bets that did not work out. Um, but I think we're really honing in on where we're the best at. And that's really that comfy dressy value proposition. Look, yeah. From, you know, in, we obviously know from a fashion lens, like it's hard to predict the trend, like you just mm-hmm. said, but from a sustainable fashion lens, is there anything that you see on the horizon that whether or not you think it's going to be a trend, but you think maybe just yourself think is really interesting mm-hmm. that you can share? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I think one thing is definitely the resale market is very interesting mm-hmm. and brands taking ownership in the resale um, market. So you're, you're starting to see it a little bit, but I think you'll see it more over the next year. Um, brands launching their own kind of resale platforms within their website so that if you have something from, I think Lululemon just launched this. Um, if you have something from Lululemon and you're not wearing it anymore, instead of using Poshmark, they're creating their own market for that. Um, that's definitely a huge trend that I've seen happening. I'm happy you brought that up because I even some of the luxury brands have, have mm. seen them started, which are probably like the some of anyway, slower to adopt to that. So yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for yeah. mentioning that. Yeah, um, definitely material innovation for sure. There's a lot of stuff happening that's been happening for years, but because the big brands haven't been interested in it, um, the commercialization of some of those fabrics has been nearly impossible, meaning that they're not an accessible price point for anybody to use to put into a garment that a normal person could buy. Um, But we're starting to see like that mushroom leather and stuff like that um, go into more mass production so that now it becomes like more accessible for slower fashion brands to use it as well, uh, which is pretty cool. cool. Um, And then I think the third thing is probably regulation. So we're starting to see um, specifically, I think of the EU, but I think it will come over to Canada and the US at some point, more regulations about what's sustainable because we've seen an increase in greenwashing. I don't know if you noticed this on um, this recent Earth Day, but it felt like it was like a retail holiday or something like that. Everybody was launching an <laughs> Earth Day collection. And I'm like, this is not the point of this. Yeah. This, yeah. this is the point of awareness for the Earth and the climate crisis and emergency that we're experiencing. Um, so I think you'll see a lot more regulation. And therefore, I've always been a bit um you know, thoughtful about this, but I do think sustainability at some point will become table stakes to brands. And I think it's an important one because we all have to take ownership over our impact on the planet. And that's through government regulation. I think that's the only way they'll get there is by holding companies Mm -hmm. accountable to that. So while I think it's important for us to do it anyways, um, I think it will become something that brands will kind of have to do um, in order to participate in retail. Mm -hmm. Do you, you in in some of the you mentioned earlier some of the other brands that you might work alongside. Do you how does that government regulation come to be? Like, are you getting approached by whether it's politicians, etc., to kind of push that agenda forward? Like, do do fashion brands have a hand in that? And if so, like, what does that look like? Yeah, not really, to be honest. They tend yeah. to go to more industry stakeholders like factories, um, fabric suppliers, um, you know, something like Fashion Takes Action, which is a not-for-profit. They were mm-hmm. work with them. I have been part of some groups like a pre-pandemic, there was a huge thing around textile recycling that they were looking into in Toronto. And I was part of that kind of 
user okay. group and, and helping kind of explain our process and how that might work. Um, because mm -hmm. from some people may not know, but textiles are a huge source of waste. Um, so oftentimes they're just thrown out, like the excess fabric from cutting is just thrown in the landfill. And depending on what it's made from, it may be there for your lifetime. Um, so finding that textile recycling, there'd been a pilot going on in a suburb in Toronto um, that was quite successful. So they were looking into that as well in Toronto, but then, you know, everything kind of shut down with yeah, uh, COVID. Yeah, so yeah. I'm hoping some of those projects will reinvent themselves. Um, and there's not a big priority, unfortunately, I would say in the last couple of years towards this, because a lot of government resources have been diverted. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there has been, as I'm sure you know, and have seen a huge resurgence of shopping local um, on reshoring to Canadian manufacturing. There's like a whole Ontario made initiative now that's uh, fueled by the government. Um, so there's all these initiatives bringing awareness and grants and more of that focus on local, which I think is incredibly important to starting that ball rolling. Cause I think people forget that like, you know, there's still not, I think not a lot of people think about where their clothing comes from and that's totally yeah. fine. Cause I was there too, but the more you think about it, you're like, okay, well in the nineties, you know, we're, we're talking about like 80% of the clothing worn in Canada, early nineties was probably made here. And now it's like, probably two or 3% or something like that. Maybe, maybe yeah, it was up a little bit in the that. pandemic, but okay. it's really low. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, thinking about that and how we can make more informed choices, I think is really important, but I think sometimes the facts just aren't out there for consumers to even consume or be aware of. So mm -hmm. Fashion Revolution is a great group that's been doing some amazing work globally as well in Canada to bring that awareness and do some government lobbying as well. I appreciate you mentioning some of these groups that are doing doing some good work. I think, is there any other um, resources, whether it be like podcasts, even your own or books? You mentioned you're more on the design side, but more on the sustainable fashion side, things if people are curious mm -hmm. to learn more, they should have a look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely encourage them to follow us on Instagram at encircled underscore. We do a lot of education on our Instagram platform. We try to really lead with that so that consumers can make more informed choices, whether they shop with us or somebody else. Um, the other thing I would recommend for people, especially if they're just getting their feet wet with sustainability, is watch a documentary called The True Cost. Um, it's on Netflix. Um, there's also... Okay. Yeah, there's another one called River Blue, which is really good. It's about the denim industry. Um, okay. Those two will change your mind on what goes on in the fashion industry. Excellent and very approachable and provide the information, I think, in a really digestible format. There's a lot of publications and blogs and stuff like that I can recommend that may bore people to death, um, which is not what we <laughs> want to do. Netflix is a good people, resource. It's yeah, easy, we want people to take action. So <laughs> yeah. the True Cost and River Blue, highly recommend checking them out. Um, and then, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it was so great chatting with you. I appreciate you taking the time and nice to just catch up, see your face again too. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers.